We are your hosts, Jessica, and I am Chris Eaton. Uh, real quick, if uh, you've been paying attention, if you're listening to this in the future and you've discovered our, our podcast many episodes down the line, uh, congratulations. Uh, for, if you're up to date, though, we want to apologize real quick for the delay. We actually had an episode recorded, unfortunately, on my end and my ADC of recording podcasts in different ways, uh, the sound file was unusable. So Jessica and I sat a couple weeks ago, recorded a whole episode, talked about what we're actually going to talk about tonight, went back to listen to it, couldn't hear a thing. You could not hear poor Jessica. It was just all like gargling and just static. So uh, if you guys are loyal listeners, we do apologize and thank you for sticking around. On that note, Jessica. Yes. How are you? I'm doing okay. Mm-hmm. I am wide awake. I went, I had a cold press juice today. Mm-hmm. So those are all of the craze that's going on right now. So for those, I don't know where it is where you guys are listening, but here in wonderful Los Angeles where trends pick up like that, mm-hmm. uh, I live near eight cold press juiceries. So I had one and now I am kind of wide awake. So you're all ho- you're all hopped up on antioxidants and all that other good stuff. I did, I did. I was drinking that while eating food and watching Thor: The Dark World. <laughs> I was basically waiting for dryer to finish so I can have bed sheets to sleep. Yeah, but worse, yeah, you could pick worse than Thor. I liked. I really liked that Thor. Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that terrible. There were some people that were like crapping all over it. But it wasn't wasn't that nah, that bad. I, I thought it was badass. I actually liked it more than Iron Man three. That I I can see that <laughs> Iron Man three had a couple of um, discrepancies that re, I, I rewatch actually rewatched parts of Iron Man three the other day, mm-hmm. and I was like, ah, it doesn't make any sense. Didn't make any sense when I was in the theater. Mm-hmm. Definitely didn't make sense the second time. It, it, so I was kind of like, mm, it, no. It's probably it's a little long-winded, like, in the middle. That was the problem with the second one, too. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, my my favorite Iron Man will always be still be the first one. But a, some I, people really liked the second one, mm-hmm. and some people really liked the third one. Um, you know, I like aspects of the second and third one, mm-hmm. but the first one I still I still really enjoyed. I really enjoyed and I do feel that Sword Dark World was better than the first one. Oh, yeah, in many ways. Many, many ways. Yeah. So. Yeah, even, even like, Thor's beautiful, you know, Vidal Sassoon hair was better <laughs> in the second film. Oh, so flowing. So. It was so flowing. You could not, like, you could not notice. It was, it was almost <laughs> like a, it was almost a cast member upon itself. Yeah. 
It was. It was. They should do that and Loki's hair. It should have its own (laughs) own Tumblr. I I don't know. I haven't checked. Maybe they do have their own Tumblr. Mm -hmm. But but for, I mean, Loki's hair, too, also. Yeah, well, it was all, it was kind of, um, it had a little bit of a pompadour thing going on in the back, like in the middle of the movie when he was in the, um, in the prison. It was all unkempt. It was supposed to be like, oh, you know, he's all, he's all ragged and stuff from being locked up. But even then, it's just like, yeah, but he's still hunky and, like, really good looking, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, oh, I mean, I... I'm a Thor person, but mm-hmm. I can see why a lot of women enjoy Loki. They like Loki, so. They love Loki, and then the other thing I noticed, women love Winter Soldier now, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, either Chris Evans or mm-hmm. the soldier himself, the Winter Soldier himself. Sebastian Stan. So, um, Bucky, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's something about long-haired, tragically uh, uh, disfigured uh, super soldiers that just, that it just it gets to the core of every woman's soul. <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> so uh anyway uh jessica um real quick exactly a week ago uh today as we record this i was out in la uh originally i was going to hit up the son of monster palooza unfortunately finances proved that i couldn't do that so instead of you know killing myself financially and going up to meeting the Godzilla guys, I had to sacrifice that. But I got to do something even cooler in exchange. Um, I was invited uh, as press to the LA EGFS. Do you know what that is? Yes. Yes, I do. Unfortunately, I was not as cool as you and I was not able to make that. But you did. I don't remember if it was scorching hot that day, though. Oh, But I know that you made it. It was unholyly hot. It It wasn't it didn't get as hot as it got, like, on Sunday, where I was sitting outside of the Hollywood Bowl for the Simpsons thing, and I was just pouring sweat with a bunch of wine hipsters behind me. <laughs> so much. Oh, my I'm trying to enjoy Simpsons performances, and I have a bunch of overweight hipsters just ranting and raving as they are just pouring bottle after bottle after wine. It reeked. Of a combination of booze, like but wine, but wine style, and just just the dusting of uh, of the wacky tobacco, if you know what I'm talking about. It was it was a, truly an odd situation, but yeah, I just had to listen to these guys going, "Oh, the, I got a nice red right here." I'm just I'm sitting there, I'm just like, "Oh my god, just guys, shut up!" I'm trying to enjoy Hank Azaria and his whimsy. <laughs> Hank Azaria is always awesome and entertaining. Oh, he's great. He dressed up as every single character that he voices at that thing, too. Oh, how cool. So he had he dressed up as a poo and sang Who Needs the Quickie Mart. He dressed up as uh, Chief Wiggum. He dressed up as Professor Frank. Um, he, did a, he did a ton of stuff. when He was out there when Conan O'Brien was singing Monorail. That was awesome, Conan O'Brien singing Monorail. Because Conan was actually dressed like Lyle Landley um, in that episode. Like, he had the top hat, or the the old-timey hat. I, the, the, I forgot that. It's it kind of a huckster. Look, the red jacket, the cane, everything. So that was awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> but had to pick the... I, we picked the hottest day in the entire year to do it. Because, so. yeah, we've been sitting... Like, the heat wave out here in California, I just broke literally, like... 
eight hours ago. Like, today was actually nice. Uh, but for the rest of the week, uh, Jessica and I have been sitting in what is essentially a, a giant confection oven that is, you know, the greater Southern California area. So we've been stewing in our own juices, and uh, it's been miserable. So hence why we didn't record earlier this week, because just it's like no one wants to sit in a single room where we can't have fans blowing and just be just pouring sweat. Yeah, poor Jessica. Yes, I, I, yes. I was afraid of just plugging in my laptop mm-hmm. will cause some sort of heat surge and things will explode. I mean, obviously not, but it was yeah. it was really hot, and I'm sure it was. It broke over like it was like 108 where I was. Yeah, and you're you're and out, I, you're out like yeah where I was mm-hmm. where I was. I actually had my hair up in a ponytail. Walked out for five minutes. Sunburn on my back. <laughs> I was so pissed. Well, I was walking around Hollywood Boulevard uh, on Friday afternoon, and it was like 99 out, and there was it, it was it wasn't it wasn't as packed, but I was there because the LA Egypt Fest had invited me out to cover the the press uh, release or the pre- press release, the uh, press conference for the release of Loop on the Third, the movie. So mm-hmm. they're like, hey, come on out, and uh, we'll get you a one-on-one with the uh, with the producer and director. And since the director is Ryoi Kitamura, who some of you might know as the director of Final Wars, some of you don't like the guy. I, on the other hand, it, the guy's a, basically like a hero to me. I love that guy. I love Kitamura's movie. So, like, he was a big, big thing for me, like, right after high school, because that's about when Versus came out. And I was I ate up everything. I got to meet the guy twice. I got to meet him once at Anime Expo, but that was like an autograph thing. So it was like, oh hey, hi, here's your thing, picture, bye. And then I got to briefly meet him again at Comic Con uh, back in '06 when he was prom- uh, promoting Midnight Meat Train, and uh, he briefly talked about Final Wars then. But I had just was just starting up this whole kind of like. You know, look at our. I just know it wasn't 06, it was 08. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I just started doing this whole kind of like reporter thing, and I didn't have any clout at the time to really talk to him. So he hasn't been like back here in America, or at least at LA wise, doing an appearance like this for a while. So I jumped at the chance. And uh, <laughs> so we did, I did the press conference. It was in a, it was in a room at, uh, uh, at the hotel off of uh, Hollywood Boulevard at the, um, Behind the Codex, or the, I'm not, it's not even the Codex. Is it the Codex Center? Or no, it's the Adobe Theater. Where they hold the Oscars. Yes. Yes, there's a spa, I believe, and a really, really large hotel behind there near the Hollywood and Highland. Yes, that's, that's uh, exactly where it is. Mall, yeah. and there's always a small book fair there. Mm-hmm. So we were there. They started late. Did a whole thing. It's a little Q&A. There was like maybe... 25 people in this room. I being the only white guy there, too. <laughs> so, it was just like... And I stand out, too. So, I'm 6'1". I'm tipping about 3'10 right now. And I got... My beard is, like, full-on Viking mode. So, I got, like, this big, red, huge, bushy beard. And I'm just sitting there at a table. And there, I the only spot that was open was, like, off to the side. And I sit down. And there's this poor Japanese woman who was getting ready to write all the stuff, and then I just turn around, and I give her a look, she's just like, she rolls her eyes, she's like, and then starts leaning over to the side to look past me so she could see everything, because she was only like 5'2", five, 5'3", five, 
and pretty much I took up like half the space of her field of vision. Yes, I remember you. I'm getting, meanwhile, I'm getting Chris's text, and it's like, I am the only white guy in this room. And then I was, and I didn't get to ask, and I said something along the lines of, I think if I was there, Mm -hmm. being both female, but yet a minority, I don't think we would even up any odds. Oh, no, no. You would just add to the to the sea of Asian that was in that room. And it's not a bad thing. It's like, it's a lot of, it was like a lot of local, like, Asian news outlets that were covering it. Because this was the North American premiere for Lupin. Lupin actually came out, I think, two weeks ago in Japan. So, like, they were mm-hmm. literally bringing it over here to, like, screen. I, they couldn't get me into the screen. I wanted to get in that screening so bad. I tried, and it's just like, sorry, man, this is like that and the Rioni Kitchen uh, films that they used, they had to close the festival. Those are the two things. Like, you can go to anything else, but we can't get you in these two because we sold this crap out weeks ago. So, and in fact, they actually had a Comic-Con moment uh, when they put the tickets on sale where the servers crashed because so many people were trying to buy tickets. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And did they had a lot of, did they have any females during the press conference? <laughs> They had, it was Kitamura, it was the producer of the film, it was the girl, it was the main female lead, I forgot what her name is, and they had, um, like, the emissary for, like, Japanese relations for some company that was promoted, that they were producing the festival, and then they had the guy that was running the festival. So, everyone... Ooh, ooh. How about the people sitting near you? Because you were like, I'm the only white guy. Yeah. Well, were there any women? Oh, yeah. Other oh, than yeah. the, oh, the little were... Japanese lady that had to lean to the side. There was, yeah, actually there was a there was quite a bit. Most of them, a good portion of like the people in the room were actually women. There was a lot of like little petite Asian women sitting there with their like little Asian <laughs> Lois Lanes just writing stuff down. Oh and then, my goodness, uh, was, I wish I could be there. Yeah, so there was, uh, I know there was a couple, I've, there was, um... Uh, a gentleman we I've, we that I've run into a couple of times. I, I keep forgetting his name. I feel like a feel like a bastard. But he was at our panel. He asked a couple of questions, and I ran into him at um, uh, at uh, the Biolanti screening um, uh, or the at the an, an, bleh, came to talk at Anime Jungle uh, back in May. And then so he's in there. He's like, "Oh hey, how's it going?" I'm like, "Good, good." I'm looking around. He's like, "So, uh, it's a lot of." seem to be the only Asian guy here. It's like, yeah, yeah, no one cares. So we we chatted up a bit. Um, so I, the thing ran 15 minutes late. They had uh, they gave me the pre- like the my little press kit, and then they gave me my schedule when my interview was was set. So I had like initially I had like 12 to 15 minutes set to go, and I was like third in line. But the problem was the press conference ended late, and. Uh, it was three. My 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 slot was at three fifty, and uh, the they were supposed to start at three thirty, but they didn't end till three forty five. So we all had to go upstairs, wait, and the guy's like, "Well, since you're closer to this, and the other people, we'll put you in next." Because half the other people hadn't, like half the other reporters hadn't shown up. Either they were talking to the uh, to the to the actress, or they hadn't shown up yet. So I'm hanging out there and. Uh, the uh, the guy that's the, organ- the festival organizer uh, organizer he's like oh so um do you know do you know his work I'm like oh dude <laughs> I'm like an encyclo- walking encyclopedia of this of this dude's work so he's like oh okay cool cool that that'd be great he uh, I th- I think he'd appreciate that so uh they're finishing up the interview in there he taps me on the shoulder he's like, okay you're uh, you're good to go so as uh, he opens the door he's like oh you know what he looks down he looks up he's like oh, I know we said 15 you might have to go 10 minutes dude I'm like 
All right, that's cool. That's cool. Ten. I. That's really what you know. All I need. So I go and sit down. There's Mr. Kitamura. There's the producer to the right of him. Uh, it's in a nice suite in this hotel. So I sit down, pop out, pop over my uh, my uh, tape recorder, and I, I have nothing written down. I never. I. I. My. My method of uh, of you know interviewing is usually I go off the top of my head because if I'm interviewing someone. It's usually someone I'm well, uh, you know, at least well acquainted with their works. So I can, since I'm a walking encyclopedia of this stuff, I usually can throw stuff out. So I turn my attention to the producer first. I ask him, it's like, oh, why Lupin now? Because he's the guy that produces Zumi. That's how he got Kitamura to come in and direct it. So he went on talking about, you know, making, like, anime films and stuff right now. Then I turn to Ryui, and I'm just like, the first thing in my mind is like, okay, start to get him to talk ask one question about Lupin and then move it to Godzilla because I'm just like it's the 10th anniversary of Final Wars it's he's literally like 30 feet from the spot where they held the premiere because they held it at the Chinese back in 04 and right I, and I was there uh, I'm just like okay I'm gonna drill the, I'm gonna drill this dude for it so he taught he goes on about Lupin for a minute and then I start working in Final Wars he's like yeah yeah you know it's the 10th anniversary I'm like yeah yes it is so, you know, how's it, you know, 10 years on, and as he starts getting into it, I get a tap on my shoulder, and it's the, it's the gentleman uh, from outside, and he's just like, sorry, dude, we're, we're really running behind, and we, we got a couple more interviews, I'm just like, mentally, I'm like, damn it, I was just starting, so I got one whole question in for, for Kidamore, he had started the second one in Godzilla Final Wars, and then I'm like, He's, he stops, and I'm just like, uh, you know what? They're, they're pulling me away, man. Thanks so much. I like I shake his hand. I'm like, this has been a big honor. I shake the producer's hand. I'm like, thank you. It was six and a half minutes. I get up, and I walk out. The guy's like, man, I'm sorry. He's like, Dan, don't, don't apologize. This was like a huge thing for me. So I'm just like, I'm on like cloud nine. I'm just like, it was only six minutes, but it was six minutes of pure awesome. So it, it would be like. I, I don't know. Just think of whoever your hero is, and you get at least like five minutes of personal one-on-one time with them. Just that put it in that that kind of perspective. That's what it was for me. So since I couldn't I, I couldn't get in uh, to the uh, premiere, I had to skip the red carpet because they were running behind anyway. Had I known I who was going to be there, I found out uh, uh, Masia Oki, uh, hero from um, Heroes. Yes, he was there. But it's like because I skipped the I skipped, I skipped the red carpet. I missed out on interviewing him. I want to interview that dude because uh, he's a former uh, ILM uh, uh, artist too. So, and he's got a bunch of cool stuff. I, I just like it. He was my favorite character on Heroes. So I went over to the arc light and watched Frank. The next day though was cool because they invited me to the um, press conference or the uh, the the panel that they held for uh, uh, you know marketing Japanese or Japanese properties being marketed internationally and it was based around um, Edge of Tomorrow but they worked a lot of Godzilla into it too on how taking Japanese properties and adapting them for you know with an American budget and all that so they had Doug Lyman there they had the writer of All You Need Is Kill which is what uh, Edge of Tomorrow was based on so that right. was that was really cool I got my book signed and Doug Lyman Interesting fellow. I mean, this is the guy that directed Swingers. He also directed the first Bourne movie and Mr. And Mrs. Smith. He also directed uh, Jumper, which if you haven't seen Jumper, it is a it, it's a fascinating mess of a film that uh, 
you just have to see it. It's it's good. the fact that they gave Samuel L. Jackson like this bleach white hair. He looks like a cartoon character running around as everyone's teleporting, like like Nightcrawler. So fascinating film. But uh, if if anything else, go watch uh, Edge of Tomorrow. So that was my weekend. Just sweating it out too. It sounded awesome, though, despite the horrible, horrible heat. Oh, yeah. Well, I walked, uh, once I got done with the press conference, or not the pre- uh, the uh, the panel, I walked out to Hollywood Boulevard, because it's like, I haven't been down here in a couple months, so, you know, let's eh, give it a look-see. A, it was night and day difference from Friday to Saturday. Saturday, it's crawling with people, and I, I'm literally, I'm talking about crawling, like, people are on top of each other, and... You got these poor SOBs that are out there in the costumes outside of Man's Chinese Theater trying to get, trying to earn money in their really crappy, like, Darth Vader and SpongeBob knockoff uh, costumes. And there was a dude in a minion costume. I walked by him, and he's just like, I I swear he was suffering from dehydration because he he was kind of sloped over, but he had his one hand up kind of waving, but the costume was looking down, so... He had to have been, like, just on empty, but it's just like, no, got to make some more. Got to make another five bucks. Then I can get water. It was it was madness, so. Yeah, you passing by would look like he basically passed out in his costume, but no one knew. Yeah, I wouldn't but doubt. But he just had one hand up. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that that's happened down there, too. It was bad. I mean... The dude in the Darth Vader costume was taking off his helmet at, but when I was walking by him. He was just like, I can't, I can't keep this up. Like, he was just pouring sweat. And not only that, but I, didn't, I haven't noticed because I haven't been up to Hollywood Boulevard on a Saturday in years. But, like, those, those, um, those tours of, like, the uh, Star's Homes, those things have multiplied like rabbits. It's, it was maddening. It it, all, it almost kind of made me appreciate the fact that I live down here. That I'm walking by, and then there's there's the there's the guys that are trying to, you know, pass off like, hey, take this tour. Or then there are the dudes, the the rappers, as I put my fingers in air quotations, that are trying to sell <laughs> their demo albums to you. Now back in the day when you would walk out of like you know uh, the you know the uh, Hollywood and Highland Center, there'd be a couple of guys out there. They got their their stacks of CDs. They're kind of clapping. Like, hey man, you know you want? They they come up to you and be like, hey man, do you like music? Do you like this? You know, check this out here. It's, it's you know five bucks, man. Check it out. Check it out. I one time I felt bad for the dude, so I actually bought it. I put it in my CD player. My buddy's like, you know that's gonna be terrible. I was like, you know what? Let's see what kind of terrible it'll be. Oh, atrocious. Like he had. It sounded like he mixed it like on an old Talkboy from like the you know the Talkboy from uh, uh freaking uh, Home Alone two. Yes, it's, it was. We're taking it back to the 80s and 90s, people. Oh, yeah. It sounded like he just had music playing in the background, and he rapped into this. It was so distorted, and the stuff was just so terrible. I actually felt like I actually got my $5 worth, though, which just this atrocious piece of uh, musical material. I didn't have the heart to tell the guy to go back and just sounds like, dude, you just really need to go find a full-time job with some benefits because you are not going to make it doing this stuff. <laughs> but, oh, my God. Yeah, but the caveat but is... But you know, you did your good deed of the day. I you gave, paid $5. I gave him his 5 bucks. He probably bought... He probably went to 7-Eleven, got a big gulp with it. But the thing is now, the dudes... The, the guys that are doing these the, the, this stuff now are, like, in your face. Like, people have become so... 
I guess, numb to the whole thing. Like, they, they, you know, someone will be walking out, they're like, hey, man, check this out. And they will literally shove, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being facetious at all. They literally shove the CD in your face and try to put it in your hand to take it. And there are people just like, I, I the one dude literally shoved another. He's like, dude, don't get, get the hell out of my face. He's like, no, no, dude, dude, just, it's cool. Just take it. I was like, I don't, I don't want to see it. And his buddy's doing the same thing. And just like, here, man, here, as someone's guy's walking, he's putting his hand in the guy's direction. Like, he's like, following the dude like within an inch of his face trying to get him to take the cd and it's just like i'm like i am shocked you guys have not gotten stabbed yet because you are invading a lot of personal space yeah i was actually gonna say chris and i don't mean to like make this into a rant tangent in which you guys are like not interested in but mm. for those who will ever go onto hollywood boulevard mm. that is something to look out for and some people don't mind it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, I don't mind it. I just learned to bob and weave. Yeah. But I do have friends that are just straight up much more... <laughs> Aggressive. You know, their hands are up, you know, they're mm-hmm. in a defense position, not in a, yeah. I'm going to punch you in the face position. But, like, you know, in a defense position, because some people are just not that comfortable yeah. with the type of, you know, display that they give. And some of them are very sweet and very nice. Mm-hmm. And I feel bad because I know they're just trying to make money. And then some are straight up in your face. And then there are ones that are so aggressive that when you say no or walk away, they call you unpleasant things that shall not be repeated for children's ears. No. But they, they they shout things at you as you're walking by. And it feels I feel terrible for people who are like, they're not aware of that or they're mm. not prepared for that. And it's their first time yeah. on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, I mean, Holly- you know? Hollywood Boulevard's a, I mean, it is an interesting place. I mean, if you live out in you know within the area it's kind of like passe it's just a place to go like when they're having like cool screenings and stuff it, it's also to go you know if you want to go party and stuff like that if you do live in the area though most people would just go to sunset because that's just where kind of like the actual like boutiques and stuff that people like to go shop in hollywood are actually at. hollywood is literally like a tourist trap like hollywood boulevard is it is, it is, and it is a serious issue, because I watched, like, this whole documentary about how the mayor at the time and everything was trying to make a law that passes the fact that they can't be really at the mall property, mm-hmm. because that's technically private. It's privately owned, but, you know, it's a public mall, yeah. so that's why they're on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. because they can't actually cross over even two feet, and they have this whole thing where they can't ask for money but they can suggest tips. So they're trying to make these rules because, you know, a lot of it's tourism. Hollywood is one of the most famous boulevards. They have the Walk of Fame there. Mm -hmm. And it became this whole issue where, you know, the mayor was really trying to crack down. But in a way, you know, people of political power live in their wonderful palaces. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and these people sometimes will make enough, sometimes won't. So it's really hard to say you know, kind of, there's a, there's a thin line, you know, that's drawn there. Well, if you ever do, if anybody is listening to this, you've never been to Hollywood, I would say at least if you come out, check it out, just give it a look. I wouldn't spend too much time there. And, uh, if anything, um, if you go to the Chinese, make sure you go to the actual Chinese portion of it, like the big one, cause down that's an IMAX and apparently it's super awesome. But uh, if you really want to see, like, a movie in Hollywood, go to the Arclight. It's a far better experience. It's down the street on Sunset where it's a lot cooler. So, uh, I think that's enough ranting about Hollywood. Uh, Jessica. Yes. Why don't we get into our review of Godzilla Cataclysm number one? 
Oh, yes, yes. It is a wonderful comic. Mm-hmm. I, a friend actually asked me today what I thought about it. And I actually said, I actually really, really like the series. And there's a difference. And I don't know, it comes from me. I'm a collector at heart, so I'll pretty much take anything sequential art. Mm-hmm. Um, can't have too many zombie comics in my collection, though. I'm not really a horror person. Mm-hmm. I am sorry, people. <laughs> but I do do Marvel zombies. But I actually, there's a difference for me between collecting the comics and I want to make sure I have issues, let's say, 1 through 12 or 1 through 10, than actually looking forward mm-hmm. to the next issue. So, I mean, either way, I would buy the second issue of something mm-hmm. and all the subsequent issues, but there's a difference between looking forward to it and wanting to just have a complete collection. So I had a friend who asked me, like, oh, did you like Godzilla Godzilla Cataclysm number one? I go, yes, I did. Actually, a lot. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, I mean, enough to buy the second one? Not for collection, like, enough to look forward to it. Mm-hmm. And I said, actually, yes, enough for me to look forward to it. So he was really surprised. He goes, oh, that's good, Um, because he hears so much, I would say, negativity now, you know, either coming from fans or readers of the big two, Mm -hmm. Marvel, DC, or just people who are displeased with certain comics in in general. So I was like, no, actually, I'm like, these are, you know, this one's one of the good ones Mm -hmm. that I feel that I would pick up, or at least I would look forward to in the second one. But um Chris had a completely different cover. It's by IDW Publishing, Mm -hmm. and it's Godzilla Cataclysm. And the writer and artist, the writer is Cullen Bunn, and the artist is Dave, I'm so sorry, I'm terrible with last names, uh, Wachter. Uh, It's W-A-C-H-T-E-R. So for those who know how to pronounce it, feel free to comment, like with enunciation everything how to uh how to pronounce his last name and the letterer and actually creative consultant is chris maori who along with matt frank did the other godzilla titles Mm -hmm. but godzilla cataclysm actually came with four covers which are known as variant covers so there's a regular cover which is by dave which is a subscription cover by bob eagleton an incentive cover Mm -hmm by all intents and purposes, I guess is the incentive to get it, and to collect it, which is art by uh, Mehdi Chegor, um, M-E-H-D-I-C-H-E-G-G-O-U-R. And uh, the last cover is Hastings' exclusive cover, Art by Brent Peoples, um, P-E-E-P-L-E-S. I think the one, the one that I got was Bob Eagleton. It's a paint. The one that you got is Dave with the two. There's two people on the front cover with the ruined city and Godzilla's in the background. If I remember correctly. That's the one I have. Yes. Yes. And Colin Bunn is wonderful. When I, when I went to go pick up the comic, Mm -hmm. I was, it was actually, I was actually just talking to me and the the cashier, but I was like, no, no, it's written by Colin Bunn. And, immediately everyone in the comic book store turned around and was like, are you serious? Did Colin Bunn write it? Because I'll actually pick it up if he wrote it. (laughs) And for those who, and they were really interested, which I really liked because, and, you know, 
we experience this all the time whenever people are like, oh, no, is it by Grant Morrison? I'm going to get it. Or Mark Wade, I will get it. Because these are writers that are pretty legendary in their own right, and they're common names that you hear all the time. Mm-hmm. But Colin Bunn is one of those names that are more well-known among people that are more comic book readers, yeah. while certain other writers are more well-known in the pop culture area. Mm-hmm. So I was really surprised. And it's because people really loved his stuff. I know him through... Uh, I excuse me, Oni Press yes. when he did the Sixth Gun. That's where I knew him from, and, that, that's and he yeah. did yeah he did really amazing titles mm-hmm. like Superman, Batman. He did a lot of um, not so much Fear itself, but mm-hmm. Fear itself like Black Widow, Fear itself okay. the Fearless, Fear itself did, Fantastic Four. Yeah, I, Is that where you know him from? No, I knew him from I know Six Gun. Like I haven't really read Six Gun, but I'm, I'm aware of the of the of the title because it's pretty much every, it's the one one of the few titles that. The girl I'm like, at my comic book store tries to force something every time I'm in there. She's like, have you picked up Six Gun yet? I'm like, no, it's not. Give me time, lady. So, but uh, no, that's, that she, she, she tries to, you know, get me hip on a lot of the uh, more indie stuff. Because when I go in there, I'm picking up Godzilla books. I'm picking up a couple of DC. It's mostly, I I'll either pick up Batman, Suicide Squad, and Justice League because I can't afford the 90 other DC books and, Pretty much the only thing that of quality that DC's putting out is Batman anyway, so that's a definite buy for me. And then the few Marvel Well, books. Batman, Batman's always classy. Oh, yes. <laughs> Batman's always... Even 1966 <laughs> yeah. Batman. And then, Batman's a classic. Yes, and then the three Marvel books, I, the, which are the only Marvel books I continue to buy, are, the, are Uncanny X-Men, All-New X-Men, and then Guardians of the Galaxy. So pretty much everything Brian Michael Bendis is writing right now. Yeah, yeah, no, and he's great, also, Brian Michael Bendis. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, like, he did, Cullen Bunn did, like, Creepy, Cap and Namor, Cap mm-hmm. and Black Widow, Cap and Iron Man. Yeah. He did all kinds, he had, like, Wolverine, Deadpool kills Deadpool, Deadpool <laughs> versus Carnage, which was always fun. The Tooth, which mm-hmm. is a really wacky one that I think people will enjoy. Um, Wolf Moon, and he is now more dear to my heart because he did a wonderful comic. And uh, as soon as Chris hears this, he's going to start laughing. It's called Terrible Lizard. It will be released through Only Press also. Mm-hmm. But it is an... The description is... is uh, basically, I'm trying to read this. Terrible Lizard tells the story of a sweet, idyllic relationship between a little girl and her best friend, a gigantic, fearsome Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> and the cover, and the girl's name is Jessica. Oh, good God. And, and the cover is her riding on top of an orange T-Rex. And if you zoom in, it looks like a little Jessie because she's also dark hair and dark eyed. So pretty much it's like so I'm like, oh my god, it's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like someone just reached into your imagination and pulled out your childhood wishes. It did, it did. And so I was like, oh my gosh. I mean this this title won't start till November twenty fourteen. Mm-hmm. Um so you know, you have to go through the diamond code for it is like SEP one four one five one one or something like that. Um, I don't know when the order deadline is. It just says like October thirteenth. But you know, because it is a smaller book, I mm-hmm. think those that are into dinosaurs and kaiju's will have to 
go to their local comic book shop and actually ask for it because mm-hmm. I don't know if all places will carry it. But he's writing that and one called Wolf Moon, and he's doing Godzilla Cataclysm. So those are also kind of his more recent things. So, you know, seeing that, I was like, oh, my God, I have not met him yet, but, you know, I hope to one day. So, yeah, I knew I knew you were going to laugh when I told you that. But um, it's basically me. I had a friend who looked and was like, oh, my God, is that you? I was like, no. Well, now I'm going to have to find the cover for it and put it. It's going to go in the show notes, so. (laughs) No, I had a friend ask, um, you know, sometimes writers will get inspiration, draw inspiration from fans or other readers or with friends. You know, Grant Morrison once told a story like, for a lot of all-star Superman, mm-hmm. he I think it was Comic-Con or something, he saw a guy cosplaying as Superman kind of sitting there, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, which kind of looks like the front cover yeah. of one of the covers. And he went up and just started talking to him and asking him questions. And this person answered in the way Superman would answer. So he was in character. So I had a friend ask, was like, have you, are you friends with this writer? Do you actually know him? I was like, no, I don't actually. But that's really cool that he's coming out with something like that. But um, that it only, you know, makes me like him more. But uh, to go back, he does Godzilla Cataclysm, which which, uh, we are on issue one. We're doing the review, but Mm -hmm. issue two has already come out. And uh, for actually the first thing me and Chris noticed as we were reading it is the artwork is a very, I like to call it kind of dark and gritty and very post-apocalyptic. You described it as more of a Walking Dead. Yeah, that's it's got what, a Walking Dead esque feel. That's what it felt like. It felt like it was uh, pretty much um, Godzilla by way of Walking Dead. Which uh, when I when I first saw like the solicitations, I'm like, you know, why? Did it, I'm shocked it's taken someone this long to do like a post apocalyptic Godzilla story. Just like you know, hey, some stuff went down, and now uh, we just got to deal with it. Oh, I, by the way, I found your terrible lizard cover. Yes, it pretty much looks like a little version of your running <laughs> dinosaur. Going in the show notes. Going in the show notes. But as yeah, you, did you see that? It looks like yeah, me, complete with green hoodie. She's so happy to her the the and it's not like a cute dinosaur either. It's like a massive menacing T Rex, and she's on top of it, riding it with her hands in the air like she's on a roller coaster. <laughs> Yes, yes, and you know, I my favorite color is green, and mm. I almost exclusively wear either a green hoodie or a Batman hoodie. Yes, so <laughs> it's almost uncanny. You know, so almost uncanny. <laughs> so Godzilla but, Cataclysm, as Jessica has been dropping comic science left and right. That's 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 her that's her bread and butter. People, she knows her comics. She puts me to shame. <laughs> It just it's all about reading it. Mm-hmm. So anybody could catch up and learn a lot. Um, but yeah, no, when we were looking through it, you were saying it took a while to do kind of a post apocalyptic like story mm-hmm. with Godzilla. Because a lot of things take place in the here and now. Yeah. Like right now Godzilla's going through our city or back then, like even if it's a flashback, Godzilla's mm-hmm. still destroying the city. So yeah. Godzilla is present at the time that the story takes place. Yes, like it opens, whether it's it op- golden it op- days or now. Yeah, it's always been like like you know a monster will show up, Godzilla will show up, they'll rumble, but it's always like in one town, 
Like, it's localized, kind of like a tornado goes through. They never do enough damage to where it's like, oh, infrastructure is gone. It's like, the people look around after it's done, Godzilla waddles off, whatever carcass is left of his uh, fallen foe is usually, you know, just strewn uh, upon the streets, and pretty much everyone's just like, well, guess we better get cleaning up. And then about five years later, everything's back to normal. They've never done anything where it's just like, like all hell freaking breaks loose enough that there was so much damage done that like we couldn't get our act back together and now we're literally living in like the era of the walking dead except there's no dead people running around but everything's in ruin so yes yes and that's how the book opens up it's mm. got a great narration you know, a voiceover of talking about, you know, what must it be like with gods like Zeus or Thor. Hilarious. We were just talking about Thor. Um, and it basically shows Japan in ruins. And when you turn the page, there's, you know, a double splash page. And it's really great because the, it really shows off Dave's artwork. Mm -hmm. And you and I were surprised. Like, there was Mothra, there's Godzilla fighting, you know, King Ghidorah. And lo and behold, uh, well, of course, there are spider jets going mm. through this as it's happening, because what do humans always send into a fight? Spider jets. And they never, um, they're never effective. <laughs> they are, they are. And then, but then on the right side, we see Manda, and, which I did not expect to see, mm -hmm. and Angurius, which I can never pronounce. It's supposed uh, to be... I think the proper pronunciation is, is, is yeah, Anguarius, but to Anguarius, me, yeah, yeah. But to me, he's always gonna be Anguilus. Oh, that's what I grew <laughs> up on. That's I. My kaiju names are stuck to when I was a kid, and then the English dubs they gave me and they carried over. That's the way I liked it, damn it, and that's how the that's the way I'm keeping it. So. That's fine, and mm. you've got good reasoning to go that route. Exactly. But, um, and, you know, you and I actually looked, and Angelus's snout is different. Mm -hmm. It is much more tapered in the live action, but here Dave has drawn him a little bit more, I would say, not tapered of a snout. It's actually very, very, very well drawn and mm -hmm. very well, and it's all very detailed. There's a lot of red hues because, you know, with every war, mm. even in movies, there's a red hue. And then it kind of ends. Yeah. And you see that years have passed, and as you're flipping through it, you're just seeing ruins of poor Japan. Uh, Japan is in ruins. It is not doing well. The panels are actually very well laid out. They don't all cross over to an entire landscape, mm -hmm. but there's like, it's a very well placed where the way you read it, there's no confusion. There are some people that, some artists, for some reason, as they're doing their panels, your eyes are just jumping around because you are trying to read, we read left to right. Mm -hmm. However, you're not so sure where the next panel is going and sometimes i've also made the mistake because my eyes your eyes lead where you read next yeah and some will draw panels in the way that you skip a panel mm -hmm. because it didn't do your line of sight correctly however dave has done a really wonderful job where the story all flows and you're not really skipping any of the panels that you should be reading so and it basically flows into an older jet older gentleman telling his two and they're related to him mm -hmm. in some way uh, his grandkids or something like, like they that. call him grandfather yeah. so you know obviously they're his grandson and they are the same two scout 
we call them scouts, mm. but they're the same two young gentlemen that are, that is in the regular cover yeah. uh, that you picked up mm. and that Dave also drew. And you already know that these two will probably be the main characters. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. you know, yeah, the world is in ruins, mm. and they're basically going out to either, you know, scout, look for things, and you kind of get the idea that people don't really go too far out from yeah. where they're camping, where they're out anymore, because of just... You know, Tokyo and Japan has been so devastated to the fact it's one of those where I'm pretty sure, you know, the person who was running was <laughs> drop mic. We're not even going to bother trying to rebuild the city just metropolis style. Just We're just going to go yeah, and leave because Godzilla and the kaiju have devastated it so badly that there's actually no coming back from it. Mm -hmm which is a concept that I really enjoy because you would think that if you're calling them gods mm -hmm. and monsters and or demons from the underworld, then they would leave such a devastation that I don't think there's enough people left alive, people, resources, time, energy to pull together and rebuild it. Mm -hmm. So I've always wondered that. I mean, of course, the end of Man of Steel was not a good example, <laughs> but in, several, in many other films, I'm always like, how long does it take to rebuild that entire city? Well, that's something but, you that, know, that, 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 was yeah, that was something I've wondered. Yeah, but that's also something the Pacific Rim very briefly touched upon, too. I mean, like, especially with, the, you know, how they, you know, they show they, they can't take a, you know, million-ton carcass and get rid of it, so they just build around the bones. <laughs> And just build it from that, like how you know, like Hong Kong kind of looked like it seemed a lot better days. They had the the bone slums, and pretty much they just kind of like built crap on top of it. But they never really fixed what was broken. They just kind of like added to it. Yes, yes, no, no, I completely understand. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so his grandsons are going out, and you know. What I love is, I don't know how much communication between Dave and Colin there is, mm -hmm. but there's no access dialogue or access narration where it needs to describe how ruined everything is, mm -hmm. because one is drawn beautifully and you can see it. And also, in one sentence, the younger grandson says, it's hard to believe we could find anything of value out here. Everything is so ruined. Yeah. And that's it. Like, one sentence was enough. You get the point. There are some writers who try, they don't get the point across, or they beat the point into the ground. Mm -hmm. And you're, a comic book is about 22 pages, 32 pages total because of 10 pages of ads. Um, but sometimes they won't, you won't get the point across, or they'll beat the point across like five, six, seven pages into the story. And you're already like one quarter of the way in, and the story hasn't started yet. But Cullen really kind of made it to the point right away you kind of pretty much knew by the fourth page like third or fourth page mm -hmm. what the world was set up to be and what type of tone this you know mini series would take so you know they basically try to find anything large of value and then take it back and you know some pages in there's a wonderful shot of you know just the boys kind of standing in what they thought was just a broken road but they're actually in the footprint of a kaiju or Godzilla. And you actually see that there are planes just kind of molded into the buildings now. And 
there's a lot of vine and vegetation, which they comment on. And as you're turning the pages, you see that there are other people also scouting and doing the same thing. So it's a very Mm post-apocalyptic. And then they come along a bear that is so mauled and grotesque that they, they try to wonder, what is it? Like that what? could have mauled it or yeah. killed it. And you get the point at that point of the story that they yeah. haven't seen a kaiju since the beginning yeah. of this issue. And there, and that's been like some, like almost like 15 years or something like that. Now, this, yes. this, this next scene, though, reminded me like the canyon scene from Starship Troopers when they're, uh, <laughs> when they're heading to, it was like Whiskey Point, to the colony. And like you got like uh, you got uh, Michael Ironside like walking through, and all of a sudden he sends a scout up. He's like, "Go get a signal," and you just see something kind of like moving real quick and hopping along. That's what this whole scene like seemed like. Like they were watching Starship Troopers like the night before, and Colin's like, "Dude, go write. Get, I'm gonna write this in there. Go draw this." Yes, and it's and it's one of those where it's a classic scene that you see a lot either in a horror movie or an adventure thriller, where it's a group of people, either somehow in an odd semicircle with guns ready, but you see one kind of get picked off Mm -hmm. one by one silently. It's a tactic that is used a lot in stories and plots. Mm -hmm. And then I really didn't know who it was. And so, however, it was the giant mutated mantises, also known as the Kamakuras. Kama- but I'm Kamakras. sure you know them differently. I call them Kamakuras because that's what they were called in uh, the dubs for uh, Son of Godzilla and for um, God- with the little kid in Godzilla's Revenge because that's the first time I ever saw him. He's like, it's Kamakura. That's that's seared into my brain, so that's why I always call him. Even there's a proper pronunciation to hell with it. They're, they're Kamakuras to me. But yeah, no. You know what? You are most likely right. Up until the age of like twelve, mm-hmm. I still called him Loki. It's not Loki. <laughs> Loki. <laughs> Loki. So I mean, poor, poor fictional character mm-hmm. had me uh, calling him a, hor- a horrible pronunciation of his name. And you actually find out that they're coming and they're picking off these people, mm-hmm. and they're very, very surprised because they haven't seen anything really that large. Yeah. And as they're being ambushed, and our two main characters are kind of hiding in the ruins, and they're like, oh, no, it's the end. I can see my life flash before me. Um, you turn the page, and you actually see vines kind of whipping out and just beheading it from the head, from the abdomen, the thorax. Vivisex vivisex the hell out of it. Yeah, of the insects. Mm -hmm. They just dissect them. It's Mm -hmm. whipping out and basically just decapitating these. It's drawn and quartered. And what did you say? It pretty much draws and quarters them. Kind of like, you know, these back in the day when in the colonial times when they would offer prisoner, they'd, uh, they'd strap the ropes to four horses and, you know, tie around the, the person's arms and legs, and then they slap the horse on the butt, and they all run in different directions. It was a preferred method of execution back in the days, but that's how they would kill someone. So it was called drawn and quartered. Yeah, yeah. So basically, you know, they were these, they were drawn and quartered, and then you see an amazing, it's, all the panels are very well done, mm-hmm. and I would kind of say in more of an action shot because it has a lot of sound effects, mm-hmm. not a lot of words, 
I mean, sound effects are technically words, but there's no, you know, none of the two main character boys are screaming. They're not yelling. They're not talking. So you're not trying to read dialogue as you're trying to look at what's happening in the background. There's none of that eyeball confusion that's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just really big sound effects. And it's almost like, to me, I feel like I am reading a movie. Mm -hmm. Can't say watching a movie. But when you don't have to guess what's going on, that's a very clear sign that the writer and the artist made their point across. Mm -hmm. Because if you have to guess what's happening in the scene, there have been points where I had to bring the comic book, like, two inches to my face because I'm like, I don't know what's actually happening in this scene. Is this character actually dead? I don't, I don't know. Only to find out three pages later, the character's still alive. Meaning the point was not conveyed across correctly. But you see it and then you turn the page and the boys yell out, it's a monster. And you actually find out it's Biolante. Which is probably the, like, it seemed like that, uh, that, uh, they they spend a little extra time because this the the reveal of Biolante actually looks like it was done in like a different um, uh, style than the rest of the book. Like like it, this almost looks like an oil painting, like right in the middle of this comic book, because it's done with such detail and there's like such finesse to it. That I, I I was I stared at that panel for like five minutes just like trying to pick it out. Just so, like the, the this isn't like normal like inking and stuff like this. This is something completely like this was like a painting that the guy did. And it's just. Like, this is good enough, I'm just going to throw it in here and just kind of, like, mash everything else to it. But it's a beautiful centerpiece for the reveal by Lenny, who I believe, first time in the comics, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. And it's and it's so great because, and also you and I touched upon this when we talked about it kind of before the podcast, it's in its full form, mm-hmm. in a full evolved state, not yeah. the... Not the flower. It's not the rose. Not the flower. In which, yes, younger as a child, I was like, "This rose is doing what?" <laughs> um, poison ivy style wasn't yeah. it, to me. Wasn't even that deadly. No. Watching it as a kid, I was like, "What is? It's a rose. Yeah. Godzilla stomp on it." When, 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 um, however, person, no, it's full lizard form. It's the full mutated. Like it's the second stage. Like the one that actually looks like. Oh, now it's menacing and looks awesome. Cause even yeah, as a kid when I saw Biolani for the first time, like the the cover, the the box art on the D, on the VHS used the the Japanese poster, which was this really beautiful artwork, and it's Godzilla, and then the full like Biolani roses in the background, but the the way that the wordings put it kind of obscured it. So when I'm looking as a kid and I first found, it, I'm like, what is this? And I'm like, I, I begged my grandfather, I was like, you gotta rent this. And I'm like, all right. So I take it home, pop it in, mind you. I have no idea. This is the first new Godzilla movie I'd seen. This is, like, circa 93, I think. So, like, this is, like, um, like mind-blowing to me. Like, I had known about a couple of the other movies that were out, but I hadn't known about this. And I pop it in and watch, and I was like, oh, wow, so this takes place after 85. Blah. And then when they reveal Biolani for the first time, I'm like, what? What the hell is this thing? And when Godzilla fights, I'm like, he's fighting a freaking plant. What the... Um, it, it was like, even my mind was just like, this is this is kind of dumb, and lo and behold, the fight is mercifully like two minutes long. Like Godzilla just blasts the crap out of him, and it's just like, all right, moving on. I'm like, uh, okay, this, uh, okay, I guess, whatever. And then moving on when the final fight happened, me being you know eight at the time and not putting you know it's like oh, you know third act, uh, you know three story structure and all that. It's like oh the the actual 
monster shows up, and it is actually a pretty awesome fight. So the yeah, it is, yeah, I it is, and and it's even shown too in the mm -hmm. comic the fight. So it was really well done when all the vines came out. Mm -hmm. They all had little mouths, you know, yeah, little all the fly traps venom and stuff. Yeah. Yes, Venus flytrap stuff. I would like to say, you know, Biolenti and Poison Ivy would be the bestest of friends. Um, Pamela Isley would be proud, and. I'm hoping that it's due to all that is happening around them. Mm -hmm. But these two kids are trying to run away. And then all of a sudden it goes, it's, what is that sound? It sounds like it's calling out. And then you turn to the last page and it's Godzilla. Bam, and video. he's shown up and he's used his atomic breath against mm -hmm. Violenti. And that is a one, one, one page splash page. Like and so nice I thought that was great. Of course, as reading it, I was like, did the kids not hear him coming? <laughs> that's always the thing, too. That That's the one thing that always bugs me, like, in any medium. When you have something that comes up, like, I know it's for the... Because you're caught up in the moment, and you're like, oh, man. It, and you're going for that first big surprise reveal. It's like, wow, that was awesome. But then when you, when you take it in, and then you start thinking on it, then you're like, well, wait, how did that... When did they hurt him coming from miles away? Oh. Yeah, you, when you start bringing it down, it's like, okay, it's kind of dumb in the long run. But for that first real, like, grasp when it's just, like, trying to, like, wow you, it's like, oh, man, it works so well. But that is a temporary high that goes away real quick. Yeah, yeah, and I was, I mean, I I was a little bit confused. I was like, maybe, maybe they don't <laughs> hear him or something, but I think it's because of the whole, they do it in the movies. Yeah. They do it in the comics. It is harder to convey, mm -hmm. obviously, through a book. Mm -hmm. But I was like, mm, I guess he just kind of rose out of that ocean or wherever he came from, and no one saw that sucker coming. Um, however, the last page is really, really beautiful. And as you're reading it, more and more color kind of pops up. Because the beginning is more of not of a flashback, but telling what has happened 15 years prior. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things is in red hues. But as the story progresses, it advances from gray to more and more bright colors and less muted colors. So by the time, you know, Biolenti shows up and Godzilla is on its full glory, it's almost like a regular color HD movie mm -hmm. as opposed, you know, you're slowly moving from, imagine watching a film that starts, you know, black and white and goes Sin City style and then goes 300 and then pops up Avengers. You know, the the lights and the tones of the colors changes throughout the book Ladies. from the beginning to the end. And then actually when it ends, it just says the gods have returned. Just and I thought that was a really good line to end with. And then it says continues in second issue. So ladies and gentlemen, you just heard Jessica saying drop science left and right on comic books. And that was her review. So... This is why, you know, I said, like, Jessica, you have to review this because you are the comic guru. So, like, if I would, if I did it, I would have just ran, rambled on. I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is awesome. But, like, you're, like, pointing out, like, stats and, like, you know, artistic stylings and everything like that. That's why, uh, that's why you're, that, 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 that's why you're awesome. So awesome. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. I try. <laughs> but I also know that something you and I picked up, or I didn't see till... I guess after I was done reading it, because I like to go back and I like to try to see, you know, who was the editor, which was Bobby Kern Kernow, mm -hmm. Kernow. 
But um, it takes a lot of people to make a comic book, the final product, into your hands. A lot of people think it's just an arter. I'm sorry, an arter. See, I combined the word writer and artist, and in some cases, it is just one person. But in this case, it's two people. But um, it actually takes a lot. There's like a letterer, a colorist, and all kinds of people. And then I notice in the inner cover on the bottom right-hand corner, it says IDW, and then... Toho, so you have both of their logos. And then there's little circles, almost like little badges or pins Mm -hmm. that tell you of all the kaijus that will be showing up. So each little circle is one kaiju and his name underneath it. So I was like, that's kind of a spoiler alert. However, good thing I didn't see it, Mm -hmm. but it's also small enough where I didn't notice it the first time reading through. Well, that's something that Toho's been doing, like with most of the releases uh, as well. Like, if you go pick up, um, like any of the Blu-rays that were put out by Sony right now, you look on the back; they all have the monster, um, like stamps. That's it, it, that's something I think they've been doing since, I think the '98 film. Like when there's like, oh, people are gonna want to know, you know, all these monsters. So they created these little stamps. I know that the Godzilla Compendium featured them quite heavily, and that's where I first really noticed them, and they've been, like, standard, like, ever since, so, in fact, I'm looking at the Mothron right now, I can't read, because it's so tiny, but I th- think they spelled Death Ghidorah right, and it's not Death Ghidorah, like, they horribly mangled the first time, but yeah, no, those, the, the little markers are, like, later on, it's like, like, like the Kamakras, like, what the heck is that? Oh, it's a Kamakras, that's what that thing is. Yes, I never noticed it in a comic book format, Mm -hmm. so now I'm going to have to go back to see if the other ones do it, because I'm so eager to start reading, Mm -hmm. I don't really pay attention to, you know, the inner covers, the back of inner covers until maybe later, if I want to go back and reread it like a second or third time. And what did you call the writer-artist combo? An arter? An arter. Uh, (laughs) We got to have that copyrighted. I've ne- that's a great term for like uh, a, a writer artist uh, that, that you know pretty much someone who does everything. An arter. You heard the first here first. Arter for writer artist. I was like, oh no, <laughs> uh, but in this case, it is not. I was speaking too fast, but now maybe I've come up with an awesome word. Yeah, you have like a, you have a nice like uh, com- like smash up, like how Pokemon's actually pocket monster. <laughs> So, yes. So, Godzilla Cataclysm number one, Jessica, would you recommend it for uh, all the folk out there to go pick up? Yes, I do. I do. And since, you know, many people, they don't want to, they don't want to be like, well, I don't want to pick up number two if I haven't even read number one. Mm-hmm. Number one is really good. I would recommend picking number one up. And then since number two came out by the time we finished or recorded this podcast Mm -hmm. i would go ahead and just get two so that way when it says to be continued you won't have a freak out and you know be like no i gotta wait one more month or two more weeks or something no it's it's here now you can get both of them at the same time and read them both that's that's the issue my buddy has who got kind of got into comics when dc did the new 52 like he picked up all the number ones and he's like oh man okay suicide squad batman i gotta get all these and like so he's like when's the next one i'm like a month from now he's like month? I can't wait that long. I gotta see what happens now. I'm like, that's the breaks, dude. That's how you read comic books, man. It's a month-to-month thing. It builds, it's building the anticipation of what's gonna happen next. He's like, screw that. I'm just gonna wait till the whole story arc's done. I'm just gonna buy them all so I can read them all at once. I'm like, 
the, the, I mean, yeah, you could do that. They're called trade paperbacks, but you can pick them up like a normal person and keep up with what's going on. It's like, nah, nah, screw that. So he wait, he goes to the, he goes to the comic book store like once a month now or once every other month and just picks up like stacks of books and he like he's like, oh cool, I got four issues of Batman I could catch up on. I'm like, you're an impatient bastard, you know that? But that's how he operates. Yes, yes. I can actually only do the collected graphic novels, the mm. trade paperbacks, actually. Yeah. I do the trade paperbacks simply to have them in my collection. Or if I'm ever bored and I was mm. like, you know what, I don't want to be sitting here with 10 issues on my lap. Yeah. So I'm just going to grab it and read all of the story arc at once. Yeah. But I still prefer to read my stories month to month, mm-hmm. because I don't know if I'm able to avoid spoilers, not even by, like, I can, if I can keep off the internet, <laughs> even friends, you yeah. know, right? I have to add the S to it. But even if I were with friends, something might accidentally slip out. Mm-hmm. So I figured I have to read it month to month. Plus, the covers are really so beautiful for some of the, for some of the issues and titles that I really want to get them month to month. So I'm a monthly or weeklies person because yeah. now some comics come out 52 weeks a year. Yeah. I know. It's a whole other podcast. You've heard my rants before already on that stuff. So I'm not going to get into it. I'm going to spare everyone. So Godzilla Cataclysm number one, it is out. Godzilla Cataclysm number two is out. We will have a review of that in a couple of weeks. But first, we have a bunch of other cool stuff to talk about. Uh, let's move into some news, Jessica. So uh, yesterday, actually, as we record this, uh, Legendary and Warner Brothers announced they have a writer for Godzilla 2. You want to take a guess uh, who might have the job? Is it going to be the same wonderful gentleman that wrote the first one because it was such a success? You are correct. Oh. So, yeah, Max, Max Bornstein is back on board. I think he's actually going to have a full story by credit on this one, too. I have Dave Callum, Callum, Callahan, the guy that wrote, co-wrote uh, Expendables with, uh, with Sylvester Stallone, he was responsible, I think, for the first script that, that they came out with, but they kept, like, the basic story, and then I believe Max Bornstein pretty much fleshed it out from there. And then, of course, there was those notable, like, little touch-ups by uh, David Goyer and uh, um, Frank Darabont, too. But pretty much Bo- Max Bornstein was the sole screenwriter on that on that film. So he's coming back to do part two. Uh, but he probably won't be getting to that for a while because, as we know right now, he's also writing the King Kong prequel film, Skull Island, for Legendary. And I just found this out, too. He's writing the pilot for the um, Minority Report TV series that's coming out. Oh, that's wonderful. I haven't been keeping up news with Minority Report. It's uh, It sounds interesting. I was having a conversation with this with my buddy George the other day. He's like, how the hell are they going to do a Minority Report show? I'm like... Well, they can do one or two things. Either they do a prequel show or a prequel series where, you know, they keep the movie in continuity, but they focus on, like, another detective. Because I believe the lead for this one is a, is a woman, so they're not using the Tom Cruise character. Or they do what the ill-fated Time Cop TV show from years ago did, and they just take the basic premise, you know, some of the, the, the touchstones of the uh, movie, and just adapt it into a film or into a TV show. I have a feeling that the later might might be the way that they're going. Because I know Spielberg is producing the show, too. 
and it's going to be on Fox, so there's a good chance it'll probably even be canceled before it ever gets released. Oh, I am. That that is something that I am worried about. Not so much for Sleepy Hollow, mm-hmm. but for Gotham. Yeah. But I think Gotham will have enough pull that it will keep on going for a little while. I, I got a feeling too. I mean, Gotham's been like highly praised by a lot of people. So who have actually seen the pilot? That's the. I haven't seen that. And I haven't seen the um, Constantine pilot yet. So, but uh, I'm looking forward to Gotham. I, I hear good things. So, but anyway, uh. In other news for Skull Island, which, uh, the, the film was announced back at Comic-Con, so almost, I uh, can't believe it's been two months now since Comic-Con. Yes, time flies, and many people I already know are already preparing for next year. Oh, wow. Uh, let's just get to WonderCon first. Actually, we got Kamikaze we gotta get through first, so... Um, but anyway, uh, since when that film was announced, the only thing that they had announced was Max Bornstein was writing it. Uh, yesterday, Legendary announced that, uh, because they, they had initially set a November 4th, 2016 date, so a little over two years from now we will see, uh, Legendary's King Kong film, but it was like, do you have anything else? It's like, no, no, that's it, so, uh, yesterday we got word on a lead for the film and a director. So, Skull Island, as it's being called, I think that's what they're going to keep it as, uh, will be directed by Jordan Vaught-Roberts, who directed The Kings of Summer, that movie about the little kids running around having adventures and stuff. So, he will be directing that. And the lead of the film will be none other than one Tom Hiddleston. Loki himself will be taking on King Kong. Excuse me, I got a little something in my throat. But anyway, so yeah, uh, Hiddleston, who's, I mean, if you want to, you definitely want to draw somebody into a, uh, uh, into like a movie like this, you, you can't go much worse than, than Tom Hiddleston. I mean, the, the guy's pretty much the, one of the hottest things right now. So uh, I got a feeling, you know, by that time he'll probably have popped up in another Marvel movie, just adding more to his, you know, popularity. And, you know, he hasn't, led a lot of stuff yet like I I don't think he I think he might have a lead or two and like he, he was in that um, vampire film that just came out like The Last Lovers Left that was like a real small kind of like indie thing and he hasn't really done anything more than like supporting at the time so I think this will be his first like big lead so that'll be interesting I think Legendary made a good call on that one uh, I know Jessica you're you are not totally swayed by the perversions of one Tom Hiddleston and his Loki. You're, you're not amongst the fangirls, right? No, I am not. Not because I don't like Tom Hiddleston and Loki. Mm-hmm. I think they're absolutely great. And Tom seems like a very stand-up and very nice, great guy to his fans. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm just more of a, when it comes to character, I do understand that Loki in many ways is a much more in-depth character, especially the way he's portrayed mm-hmm. in the comics. In terms of looks, he's fine. Mm-hmm. But if I like really had to pick, I'm more I, I'm a Thor person. Mm-hmm. So if I had to pick between those two, but I can see why Loki is so popular among fans, especially with female fans. Well, part of it is so I Hiddleston. do. Yeah, I do see more uh, women dressed up as Loki than I do as Thor. But they are both wonderful. Mm-hmm. No, both both costumes are amazing to cosplay in. So, so yeah, so two years from a month and a half from now, we'll have a new King Kong film. And I'm, I'm actually quite excited, especially under uh, Legendary, because I know uh, Thomas Tull, like is a massive Kong fan. And uh, the fact that they're not 
doing like like they looked at it's like okay we're at Universal now well what do you want to do we're doing King Kong first uh, okay so you want to redo Jackson's like no screw that like they've done the Kong story three times now there's no need to do it again we're gonna go have other adventures we're going to Skull Island and we're gonna f have Kong fight a bunch of T-Rexes and maybe a Brontosaur that I'm hoping to see that's what I really want to see like Kong take on like a big like Brachiosaur and just like crawl like climb up his neck and just start like ground and pounding him on his head and stuff like that that'd be an awesome fight um but like yeah just like the craziness that is skull island so and i know i've all been reading on it as people have been like oh is that legendary so they're gonna start like universe building and put like godzilla and i'm like i keep telling people like i don't see that happening like godzilla's still at warner brothers legendary will keep making them but they have to make them with warner brothers kong's at universal and they're almost two completely different things. It's pretty much why, you know, the same reason why we won't ever see Pacific Rim and Godzilla crossover. Because Legendary's like, they're two different things. Even though they're in kind of the same genre, they're not, they're not in, like, they're, they're, they're their own subcategory. So they're not, they're never going to cross them over like that. Until they run out of ideas and they need more money. And then they're like, now we're going to cross everything over. But I don't see King Kong and Godzilla anytime soon, as I've gone on about. Skull Island, though, I'm very interested to see that it, it, at the very least, Legendary gives like like these smaller kind of like artsy directors like chances with some bigger budget stuff. I mean, they did it with um, with Gareth Edwards, and he's directing a Star Wars now. And I still say he directed a very good Godzilla film. Like it was, it's still a visually awesome film. You know, our you know differences aside, I and I still liked it. So just the next one they can't play you know you know hide the potato anymore you got to go full out um so yeah so the that's happening so you can check that out uh up on the show notes and uh jessica yes have you seen the posters that our buddy uh mark has uh released through the kaiju guidance site yes i have and i especially love the one by matt frank mm-hmm uh, that one is really beautiful. I saw it through Matt Frank's uh, Facebook site. Mm -hmm. So it was really great. But, yes, he has been releasing tons of other really, really wonderful and awesome, like, just posters, artwork, a lot of that stuff. Well, they have uh, two out right now. They have uh, the Matt, Matt, the one that Matt Frank had uh, done, and then there's the other one that – hold on, I'm pulling his name up right now. It's uh, Jeff – Jeff, Z Jeff Zero, the the uh, gentleman who's uh, doing the covers for um, Godzilla Rulers of Earth right now too. I'm pulling his name up right now. Um, yeah, I should have had this ready. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So uh, two posters out uh, for you know we've we've gone on kind of we've gone on a little bit about it. I've been going on about it on the on the Facebook site. But uh, Kaiju Gaiden is a uh, documentary that uh, is being made right now about... Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Jeff Zorno. There you go. Um, is a documentary about uh, the directors of these uh, long-lost like kaiju films. And some are like legit, some are fan. But they're all gems. And they're all great. So uh, that's, uh, I believe, they start work on that in a few weeks. So uh, if you want to check them out... Go to Kaiju Gaiden, that's K A I J U G A I D E N dot Tumblr dot com uh, for a bunch of information. I believe they're going to start a Kickstarter soon, or if they haven't, 
they uh, or the, unless they have already. Um, looking here, uh, yeah, they got a yeah, they're okay, yeah, they got it coming soon. So it says right here, production starts in the film soon. So uh, also go over to their Facebook page. It's a uh, Facebook Kaiju Gaiden. Uh, they need some more likes. Give them a little love. God, believe me, people. This thing is going to be awesome. You have no idea. Um, and yeah, and they have uh, they have actually a couple of cool things coming soon. So uh, just stick to that. And we, of course, will be just whoring the hell out of it. So for the next couple of months, you're just going to be hearing a, a lot of us just really pimping this thing because it's something I fully believe that's it's going to blow people's minds when they see it. So. Uh, we're, uh, we ha we will be having Mark back on to finish his fantastic tales pretty soon, and uh, he will be giving us a little more about the movie in a couple of weeks when we get him on. So stay tuned for that. So, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Oh, real quick, what I wanted to t something lastly I wanted to touch upon. I mentioned that uh, I have the Mothra Blu-ray standing here in front of me. So, uh, about this last week, Godzilla was released on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, the legendary one. So the week before, to jump on that bandwagon, Sony released the second batch of their Blu-rays. So there was Godzilla 2000. There was uh, Final War. No, it wasn't. It was Tokyo SOS and Giant Monsters All Out Attack. So GMK and the Mothra trilogy. Now I was gonna pick up uh, 2000 because it has the Japanese cut on the Blu-ray. But I decided against it because I don't own Mothra 3, and I actually really like Mothra 3. So I picked the thing up. It actually has its two discs, which was shocking. They actually put Mothra 1 on its own disc, and they put 2 and 3 on, uh, on the second one. And a nice little cover. It's actually got a sweet, like, kind of like, uh, something that I, I've, I can appreciate, because a lot of DVDs don't do this anymore. There's actually a nice full spread of Mothra from Mothra 2 in the back, so when you open up the DVD case, it's like Mothra's like saying, like, hey, what's up? You gonna watch my movie? Um, <laughs> so, there's there's that in it, but the thing is, I popped it in, gave it a look, because I popped in Mothra 3, because it's just like, I, it's been a, forever, and my VHS copy isn't the greatest copy in the world, and I was just like, okay, let's, let's look at this, and I'm just looking at it, I'm just like, this is a Blu-ray? It just felt really cheap. It just felt like Sony, all they did was take just the standard, you know, versions of what they had sitting in their library and just print, pressed them onto a Blu-ray. It doesn't look like they were even remastered at all. Which is, you know, it, the, I bought it at Best Buy for 12 bucks, so I can't complain too much. And you just feel like, it felt like just a little cheap, the fact that they didn't put at least a little bit of effort into it. But, you know, what are you going to get? It's... I doubt that these are going to be huge sellers, and they're, they're being sold to people like me who have to have them in their complete collection. So we're gonna to have to talk about those movies one day, Jessica, because the Mothra trilogy is a fascinating, almost magical train wreck in some in some cases. But uh, they're they're weird. I they still don't feel like they like Toho made these things. They feel like like another studio just bought Mothra and just like yeah, we're gonna create like whimsical like fantasy films. So. I like how you called it a magical train wreck at times. Mothra, like they're like Mothra One. I legitimately love Mothra One. Like Mothra One is great. Mothra Two is a mess of a film, and Mothra Three. When I went back and watched it, it's like I remember liking this a lot more. Like twelve, thirteen years ago when it came. Actually, no, it's been longer than that. Like fourteen years ago. Good God. Um, 
But I remember Mothra 3 came out the same time that Gamera 3 came out. And I remember that Gamera 3 blew everything Mothra 3 did out of the water. And just, it's like, I just remember it's like, you know, it was cool because they had King Ghidorah and he was all badass and powerful and big. It actually had, that's my favorite Ghidorah design, is the one from that. But it's just it's like, there was like some lazy writing in it. And then like a lot of the effects are really like, even there are points when I'm just like, oh, I forgot the dinosaurs in this thing were really crappily done. So, I, I don't know. We, we're going to have to sit through and, like, legitimately, like, review each of these films because it's just, they're too weird not to talk about. And I got to, from what I've talked to people, like, kind of, like, casual fans, they've never even seen these things. So, they are, like, a unique cornerstone. That bridge when Toho was like, we're not going to do Godzilla anymore, but we're gladly do some author films. It's just like, why, why are you, why are you even doing, what, you're, you're done with this, but you're going to keep pushing this ball of pill that you clearly stopped. You wanted to stop at one point, so. They're, they're a weird footnote. And I've, I've rambled on enough. So, no, no, I completely understand. And I look forward to doing the Mothra films, too. Because mm-hmm. that's one of the more popular characters of the kaijus that people recognize. Even my mother recognizes oh, it. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, she calls it a giant butterfly. But, yeah. you know, she knows, she knows what it is. Yeah. And the moths are different from butterflies mm-hmm. in many ways. But, you know, she she's like, no, I know that character. So she knows, actually, that one, I think, to her is much more different because it's much more insect-like. Yeah. I mean, it is an insect. So when when you, if you show her King Ghidorah and Manda and everything, mm-hmm. she's like, oh, my God, they all look the same, mm-hmm. you know, despite its heads. But if you show her Mothra, she's going to, you know, immediately know she's going is. to, yeah, she's going to be able to recognize it. So and I think uh, little girls also really like Mothra because it is a very beautiful creature. I, I, so it is a lot more interesting of a character on its own. Well, that's why Mothra was shoehorned. Mothra and Ghidorah were shoehorned into GMK because originally uh, Sasuke Kenko, uh, Kenenko wanted Baragon, Anguilus, and Varan because he wanted to have like be, have got to like be super like like super Saiyan strong, just like. Uh, like god tier and you know he's like I'm gonna take the three weakest non-powered kaiju there are and I'm gonna throw my Godzilla and he's just gonna like curb stomp the crap out of him and Toho's like whoa whoa, whoa, hold up Uh, Mega Gears did not make a lot of money for us if you want to do this you're gonna have to make a compromise and like why it's like "Uh, we'll let you have one of the monsters but you gotta put Mothra and King Eater in there somewhere because those are the popular ones, and they're going to draw people. So he's like, alright, fine. Uh, give me Baragon. Like, alright. And Gilus and Varian, you're out. So, and the main reason they did, because they, they did a study, it's like, chicks love Mothra. Just, that's in, pretty much in their, in their words. It's like, girls love Mothra, so we want to get the female crowds in there, so throw Mothra in there. And that's why Mothra was in like the last, almost like, three films of the series. So you had GMK, you had uh, Tokyo SOS, and of course, uh, she showed up in uh, Final Wars because if you're gonna throw everyone in there, you gotta have Mothra at some point. But right, I do think that was the idea behind these. The 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 Mothra trilogy was just like, okay, we've done enough for boys. Let's make a like a little girl trilogy because it is super kid friendly, like almost like the early ga- like the sixty Gamma films. But there's like a lot of like almost like magical like idol. Um, elements to it, especially with, with the uh, 
uh, the fairies and like a lot of the stuff because there's a ton of singing more than just the Mothra songs they do like a lot of like little like mu- mini there's literally mini music videos that, sh- that start in the middle of these films it's fascinating so but they do have cool monster designs uh, Degala was actually a really cool design I, lo- I love the Mothra but Death Ghidorah though I don't know I always thought that that should have been brought into like the main continuity because I always thought that was a really awesome design and it, like the concept of like another like like subspecies of Ghidorah or the fact that Ghidorahs might actually be like there's a race but each one has like their own thing kind of like the Celestials in, in the Marvel comics like there's different looking ones but they're all part of the same race and each have right. a title <laughs> so alright well, that's enough of me ranting uh, this episode's gone on kind of long anyway so Jessica where can the good people find more of our work you can actually find us on Facebook. Please mm-hmm. like us, be our friend, stalk us, comment, look at all the wonderful things Chris put up mm-hmm. onto our website. And we are at Facebook.com, uh, the Kaiju Kingdom podcast. We are also on Twitter as the Kaiju Kingdom. Which that should be No podcast after that. That should be updated. Due to, you know, the limited number of characters uh, that we can allow. But we are there on Twitter. We are also on Tumblr on the Kaiju Kingdom podcast. Uh, And you can email us at the Kaiju Kingdom podcast at gmail.com. So the only outlet that we have in media that doesn't have the word podcast at the end is actually the Twitter one. So, so it's just the Kaiju Kingdom. And if you follow us, you'll get an update like once, like a month, because it's uh, I'm I'm pretty much running the site right, the, the Facebook page and the Tumblr page. So when uh, when things kind of clear out, the 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 Twitter will be updated far more often. That's that's coming pretty soon. Just- yes, Chris is doing a wonderful job. <laughs> putting up all the photos and there are some things that I look and I was like, Oh, you know, I know this happened. And there's some things I was like, how did he already know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I get that from my coworker. Where it was already there. My coworker sits down every morning. It's like, Hey man, did you hear him? I'm like, yeah, yeah I, I, I already know. But it's like, is there nothing you don't know about? I'm like, no, I get up and read the internet every morning before I come in. I got to be in the know. I'm one of those people. You're probably also checking during breaks at work. Oh, no, definitely. Like, I, my phone is, like, glued to my hand, like, during my break time, so. It's al- it's it's almost it's almost sickening how much I'm on that thing. So, where can they find more of your work, Jessica? Yes, you can actually find me, and feel free to Facebook friend me. Mm-hmm. Please in Facebook inbox me so I know, like, you know, maybe where you've heard me or maybe where we've met. I want to make sure I accept all the right people um, my Facebook friend requests and not just, you know, randos that I may or may not know. Mm. But uh, my Facebook is Jessica, and my last name is all one word. It's the comic book girl. So you can just Facebook friend me. I would love to be Facebook friends with you. We can chat about all kinds of pop culture and geeky things. I'm also on girlongeek.com and thecommonbookgirl.com. And from there, it just kind of flows into all the other different, you know, media sites that I'm on, like Pinterest, Vine, Instagram, and all those things. So, yep, those are good places to kind of hunt me down and know where I'm going to be and what I'm going to be doing. And then you could find more of my work over at therealmcast.com, where I host the Take Two podcast with uh, my esteemed editor, George Cadero, and uh, 
Shockingly, we found out that Legend of Korra is being brought back very quickly, so you can catch uh, the last Legend of Korra, the rundown of the Legend of Korra that I host with uh, Sergio Sanchez. Uh, all of season three is up now. Season four will be beginning in a week because Nickelodeon wants to get rid of Avatar in general for some unholy reason. And uh, you can also check out uh, the other podcasts we have on that site. We have our rundown series, so we will be doing the rundown arrow that'll be coming back for its uh, new season. We have the rundown flash that will be coming that that will be starting soon. The rundown the walking dead will be starting and then I believe we might be doing one for Gotham if we can find the time. So if you want to keep up on all the all the the kind of like cool TV shows that uh, are comic book oriented, you go get those listed. I'll be on at least two of them, so. And then uh um just had a blank. Uh, oh yeah. Um, oh, update on iTunes. Uh, next week, I believe, from when you're hearing this, we should be up and going by that time. So uh, we're waiting on um, we're waiting on word from iTunes right now, I believe. So that should be coming pretty quick. And when we do have it, I will have it up on the Facebook page and the Tumblr site. So that way, you guys don't have to click onto Panzer Crush anymore, and you can just have it drop to your box when you wake up in the morning and you give it a listen to wherever you guys listen to it. Like, if you go jogging or if you go riding to work, it'll be right there waiting for you. All right. That would be wonderful, especially with these new iPhone 6s coming out. It would be nice. I think people would really, really enjoy wake listening. Up, wake up to, 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 our, to our voices. Your very calm, collected, and my high-pitched, whiny, you know, complainy voice. Not high pitched, actually. Not high pitched. I don't think so. A little nasally. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> that will do it for us for this week. So, for myself and Jessica. 